Welcome back to another episode of the Nethercast. I'm your host, Chad. Joining me is... Absolutely nobody. Yes, that's right. Nobody. Sadly, not a single one of my fellow co-hosts on this podcast wanted to talk about the new movie, which is today's topic. And why is this? Why am I all alone in the void? Well, there's a few reasons. We've kind of developed a reputation over the past few years as being negative, critical, not liking anything. But when we've disliked things, we've always gone in really hard trying to explain the reasons why. We've never wanted to hate anything just for the sake of hating it. But it is true that we are critics. And we do this because we love the material. We love Mortal Kombat. We want to see it be the best it can possibly be. And so, when it isn't, when there are unnecessary retcons, you know what I'm talking about, we can get a little bit... vocal. Now, there's no easy way to say this, but it shouldn't come as a surprise to many of you out there that many of us did not particularly care for this new movie. So, we decided it was best if I did this one solo. We didn't want to come across as a bunch of angry old fans who hate everything. Just sitting there, repeating each other's talking points. I agree that I hate this too, because you hate this. We both hate this. Everyone hates this. And that's another reason that we didn't all want to sit there and do this. It isn't fun. It isn't fun for us to sit down and go, Oh god, everything was awful. So, since we're mostly unanimous on the things we liked and didn't like about this, rather than subject you to that, we decided to come to the consensus that I should do this alone. I'm hoping you can stand being with just me, just this once. I promise, this will never happen again. So, as you'd imagine, we were expected to hate this movie. Did we? Did we all? Not all of us did, not entirely. Cyborg and Django thought there were some pretty good points. In particular, Cyborg thought that Kano, Hanzo, Scorpion, Sub-Zero, Jax, Liu, Shang Tsung, Cabal, and Kung Lao were pretty standout characters. He absolutely loved all of Kano's dialogue. He liked the final fight between Scorpion and Sub-Zero. He really appreciated the fact that this movie has characters that are not likely to actually get a showing in most MK media. He thought that the powers and special moves were used in fun ways. There were some pretty decent shots in there. Cyborg really enjoyed Sub-Zero's snow and ice special effects. He also enjoyed the gentle snowing effect that took place before Sub-Zero showed up to kill people. Didn't think that there was really a dull moment. Just kind of rushed. He enjoyed the training section. He also liked that the fights were very reminiscent of the video games. He appreciated all the little easter eggs and references that they put into the film, and there are lots of those. His only problem with them was that, to him, they did feel a little bit hollow. And he does believe, as I do, that there is potential for better sequels further down the line, if they take fan and audience feedback into account. Razor really enjoyed the fact that Bihan was depicted as kind of this ominous, stalking, slasher-like villain. He also thought that Kano was absolutely hilarious. 
He loved his humor. And another thing that Razor really loved was the fact that Kung Lao was spot on. He felt the characterization was dead on pat. And Temp agrees with him. Temp thinks that Kung Lao is the best part of the film free. His own words. Django liked Hanzo, Liu Kang, and Kung Lao pretty well too. He especially liked Liu Kang. He gives respectable mentions to Raiden and Sonya. He also appreciated that Liu Kang and Kung Lao had kind of a Liu is a sidekick to Kung Lao dynamic. He also enjoys the fact that Liu Kang feels as though he's genuinely humble. He has grace of character. He's loyal. He feels that they did Liu Kang pretty well. Temp, on the other hand, disagrees. He feels that Liu's overall acting and characterization were pretty bad. He thought that the performance was super inorganic, and that there was almost no real dynamic between him and other characters. Too many awkward pauses in the dialogue. Emotionally muted. And Razor does agree that Liu has the stiffest dialogue. Not the worst, but the stiffest. We're not all completely unanimous about everything we like or dislike, but I think it is safe to say that we all have a bit of common ground in one scene in particular. And that would be the dinner table scene. We all thought that that was a highlight. It gave the characters a chance to really bounce off of each other. Show us their chemistry. And Kano and Liu Kang and Kung Lao together were funny as hell. And I think it's safe to say that all of us wish there were more scenes like that in the film. That built up relationships better. They're much, much too far and few between. Smoke Man really in particular enjoyed the scene where you see Sub-Zero in the alleyway, and he kind of fades into mist and zips into the building. He was otherwise unavailable for positive commentary. Django, Cyborg, and I also really liked that scene where Liu Kang sweeps Kano's leg a bunch of times. Like, we felt that that was something that people who grew up in the arcades, I feel, would get. They'd remember that. They'd know that. Sweep the leg. Sweep the leg. Didn't expect you to do it again. Sweep the leg. It's a nice reference. I really did enjoy that moment. And what else did I enjoy? Well, a few things. I also think that Kung Lao was absolutely one of the best parts of the movie. I appreciated for once how he didn't come across as like this condescending jackass. More like a wizened schooled tutor, let's say. If I could get a Kung Lao in the games that acted like this, stern but wise, I'd be so happy. He's much more in line with the way that I used to see Kung Lao before Shaolin Monks came along and then MK9 came along and Eleven. Now he's just kind of a jerk. So, major points for me for that. I was very happy with Kung Lao. Now, obviously, like everyone's been saying, the absolute standout character of this entire film is Josh Lawson's Kano. The guy steals every scene he's in free. He gets so much character, so many good lines. It's a treat to see him on the screen. He's such a tremendous douche. He gets a lot of respect from me for the way he plays Kano. I never ever would have expected to see someone put a completely different spin on him so far away from Trevor Goddard's performance in the 95 movie that I'd actually love. A nice little side bonus that I really enjoyed, that I don't think many of us saw coming, really, or any MK fan would see coming, is that Natara was actually in the movie. It was good to see her. I wish she had had a bit more to do. A couple of speaking lines, maybe. Would have been nice. 
she's more of a treat for the hardcore fans than anything else. Not an actual real developed character or anything, but it is pleasant to see her all the same. I also really liked a lot of the little nods and references that they threw in there, just for us hardcore fans. Shinnok's Amulet, the mural that shows Goro killing Great Kung Lao, surprisingly by ripping him in half. Wasn't expecting that. Kano being wanted in 35 countries. Little moments like that. I think the film's overall strongest aspect is its cast. These actors are really passionate about bringing these characters to life. And I'm grateful for that. But a passionate cast can't save an otherwise seriously, seriously flawed movie. Before I go any further, I want to point something out. People come to Mortal Kombat for a variety of reasons. For a lot of people, it's the blood. It's the gore. It's the fighting. It's the gruesome finishers, x-rays, fatal blows, crushing blows. It's the violence. That's the thing that made MK popular in the first place. It's violent and bloody as hell. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. That's normal. That's the thing most people remember Mortal Kombat for. So that's going to be the main draw of people coming to see this movie. They want to see the adaptation of that game where they cut a guy in half. Most people that I've talked to offline, in my own social circles, they went in with the expectation that the movie would be stupid, but fun. Brainless thrill ride. That is, sadly, the popular conception of what Mortal Kombat actually is. Just a silly game where you cut dudes in half. And that's the audience that the movie's really made for. They tried to make it for us too. That's why you've got all those fun references and easter eggs. But there's a fundamental difference between having your audience live in a completely new universe and showing us things from that universe in an attempt to convince us that they're there. This movie is made for the MK fans who are going to be happy enough to see some of their favorite characters punching each other, killing each other, and doing special moves on the big screen. But there are many of us who need more than that out of MK. So many of us are here in this universe with its characters still playing these games because they love that universe. Its setting, its characters, its story, its lore. You want to know what MK's strongest secret character is? Atmosphere, environment, presentation. The sense that you're in a completely different mystical world of gods, ninjas, monsters, demons, special forces agents, horsemen, half-human dragons with four arms. The movie shows us some of these characters, but it doesn't give us the world that they live in. And to me, that's what really drags it down more than anything else. This movie doesn't want to show us that world. It has no interest in it. And what little it does show us isn't established anywhere near enough. There are a few miscellaneous shots in Outworld. A big empty purple plain. A cave somewhere. The Shao Kahn statue you can hardly see. But even then, 
Outworld is only one part of the MK universe. Another huge part, the beginning, is modeled on Shaw Brothers Kung Fu films. There's this entire Eastern martial arts aspect to the beginning of the series that serves as a pathway into a whole new universe. And this movie doesn't want to go there. Specifically because they decided they just didn't want to remake MK1995 all over again. Which is understandable. Which is fair. They wanted to do their own thing. Tell their own story. But they didn't give us a world anywhere near the environment and the atmosphere of what we'd expect to see. Not nearly enough. The only times when I actually felt I was in the MK universe was when I was actually watching the cast training at the Shaolin hideout. Otherwise, what did we see? A building somewhere. Someone's backyard. Someone's trailer. While it's true that Mortal Kombat 3 had a lot of urban environments, those were enhanced by the fact that they were all dead and empty and abandoned. They were part of a dead world. They felt unnerving. And here, without any kind of setup even remotely close to that, they just feel mundane. So that's where the movie really lost me. The environments were just not there. Not for me at all. And I maintain... They could have still done a tournament very differently from the way MK1995 did it. Could have been a free-for-all, like the way Scorpion's Revenge and MK Legacy showed us. They could have used the opportunity to show us brackets, how the tournament works. Something different, something new. But they just didn't want to. And that is a shame. Now before I go any further, I know... A lot of you guys out there might be going, Why are you expecting so much from Mortal Kombat? And I think that that's one of those things that if you don't know already, I can't explain. Maybe you just have to have grown up and lived in that world. Played every single game, I don't know. Invested yourself in the universe and characters and the source material. Silly though it may be. But I just need more. I've seen people go, Why do you care so much about the story where a guy's got four arms? Why are you taking a movie seriously where a guy's running around dressed as a giant bat? Of course things are going to be stupid if you look at them that way. Our comic media, our video game media, they're all inherently very, very silly. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try to present them well. I'm not shitting on anyone for going to see this movie because they just want to see a guy get cut in half. Don't shit on me if I have problems with it. Because it's not everything I expect it to be. And unfortunately, that's not where my problems with the movie end. I didn't care for the concept of Arcana. I didn't care for Cole Turner, Young, Morino, Studio Insert Character. Whatever you want to call him. And I'll get into a little bit more of that later. I think my main problem with this movie is that it doesn't seem to have any kind of real faith in the source material. It's content to pick and choose what shows us from there, but it doesn't want to live in it, you know? I appreciate Kano's dialogue, making fun of everything and everyone, but at the same time, I feel like I'm being told inherently, all of these special powers are very silly, throwing hats is dumb. The movie needs Arcana to explain 
why everyone can throw superpowers around, fireballs, things like that. Unlike almost every single MK movie and show and cartoon out there, this movie seems to, at its heart, be kind of ashamed of what it's doing. It has to explain to the audience why everything is stupid, how everything works. It has to insert a studio-created character as its protagonist to explain to us why everything should make sense, how the world works. And we already had characters that could do that. In the movie, Cole takes on Sonya's role as a skeptic. He's thrust into the world he doesn't understand. He takes over Johnny Cage's role as the everyman. And he takes over Liu Kang's destiny, his purpose, in defeating Goro. And what does that tell me? It tells me that the people who made this movie, who wrote this movie, didn't think the characters were good enough to work with from a narrative perspective. And we have had plenty of evidence that they are. Again, they didn't want to tell MK1995 over again, which is fine. But I don't think that that means, or has to mean, that these characters shouldn't serve their same basic roles. What if they'd made, say, Hanzo the protagonist for a change? That could have worked. Scorpion's Revenge showed us it was possible. But that doesn't happen here, and it can't, because the movie, as MK Legacy did, makes Scorpion and Sub-Zero into feudal-era Japan and China characters. And that just goes to show that they don't think that ninjas can exist in a modern-day context. Which is baseless, because Netflix Daredevil did it a couple of years ago. The movie fundamentally just doesn't look at the MK characters as existing or living within a universe that has any faith is translatable to screen to be taken seriously. And maybe seriously is a problem. During the lead-up to the movie's release, they were comparing it to Kurosawa films. Todd Garner specifically said about Johnny Cage, When you think about Mortal Kombat, if you just think about the patina of the movie, it has a very Asian feel to it. And I early on felt uncomfortable about having a white male lead kind of leading that charge in the first movie. It just felt Hollywoodish to me. Now, I probably shouldn't need to tell you this, but for the record, Johnny Cage was never a leading that charge kind of character. That's a disingenuous argument. He's always been a supporting cast, comic relief character who's designated to back up MK's main hero. Liu Kang. The only times Johnny was ever a leading figure was during MK Armageddon, while Liu Kang was dead, and during Mortal Kombat X, also while Liu Kang was dead. Now second off, as you probably know, MK has always had large influences from a wide variety of martial arts and action films. Think about the Shaw Brothers and Hong Kong's Golden Harvest Studios. Golden Harvest, in fact, produced a little film with Warner Brothers, which you might know, called Enter the Dragon. It starred some guy named Bruce. So, that was a Hollywood production. And so was John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China, which is where other MK influences come from. Johnny Cage is basically one part John Saxon's Roper in Enter the Dragon, and another bigger part Jean-Claude Van Damme, from when his original name was Michael Grimm during MK1's development. 
So yes, the character is completely Hollywood in nature. Todd is right about that, but MK has always, always had Hollywood influences. I understand and applaud the motivation to want to do something diverse and serious. But even if you don't think Johnny is totally right for your film, your argument kind of falls flat on its face when you've still got a hilarious supporting character who's a fish-out-of-water white guy in the finished product who's acting as comic relief for most of the film. Kano. There was plenty of room for Johnny Cage to be in this film. But that's not the film that they wanted to tell. They wanted to give us a serious look at the universe, even though all your audiences are out there going, I'm not expecting much out of this film, but some dumb violence. And buddy, dumb violence might as well be Johnny Cage's middle name. So you've got a film that doesn't care to use the MK characters the way they were created, doesn't care to use crucial main MK characters, doesn't care to show us the universe in which they were created in any meaningful way. Does it at least respect the story and the lore? No, not really. Because in trying to tell their own version of the story, they try to hand wave away some of the fundamental rules about how the tournament works. Let's look at Shang Tsung for a second. When Melina tells him that they're breaking rules set in stone by the Elder Gods, he replies, Leave the Elder Gods to me. We haven't won nine tournaments by playing fair. Which is, you know, understandable, yes. Shang likes to cheat. But then later on, when Raiden confronts him with his bullshit, he replies, The Elder Gods are lazy. What did he do? Nothing. He also says, Conflict outside of the tournament is not forbidden. Except... Yes, it actually is. Specifically, when you're talking about attacking the other side's team. When they send a bunch of Tarkatans to murder Liu Kang's Shaolin Temple, they do get away with it. It's a way to provoke Liu Kang into defending his title. Raiden says he can't protect everyone. And he's right about that. He can't be everywhere at once. He's a god, but he's not omnipotent. And later in the MK2 comic and MK9, when Shang shows up with Katana, Melina, Reptile, Kintaro, or a bunch of Tarkatans, depending on your version, Raiden gets involved right away. In the MK2 comic, he tells Shang Tsung, You're here against the wishes of the Elder Gods. This skirmish has taken place outside of tournament battle, an act the Elder Gods will not take lightly. And Shang replies, My business is to exercise my right of challenge. And I challenge these mortals to compete in a new tournament hosted by Shao Kahn. In the movie, Shang has no cover for why he's here. He gets away with it for no good reason. Raiden lets him. If Raiden, in the film, had been doing his job, the movie would be about half its actual length. But he doesn't. He just kind of puts a shield up and disappears until it's time to tell Cole he's not good enough. He could go to the Elder Gods, tell him Shang's cheating, been killing his warriors. He doesn't. At all. So why am I telling you this? Is it to rage that the movie is not following the game 100%? No. It's just to illustrate that it doesn't even really feel the need to try. 
So we have a movie that doesn't really use all of its characters as well as it could, doesn't really want to live in the MK universe, doesn't really want to tell the story properly, and I haven't even really discussed the problems it has on a cinematic level. The editing is terrible. I'm not the first person to make this complaint. It ruins the fight scenes. All these herky-jerky one-second shots. I've seen better martial arts choreography in so many other movies, and we were promised some of the best fights we'd ever seen. Does anyone really feel like we got that? The script is a mess. It's constantly torn between trying to explain things to casual audiences, and throwing out terms only the hardcore MK fans are going to understand. It tells us that Hanzo is part of the Deadly Shirai Ryu clan. It doesn't tell us what that's a clan of. Bihan says, for the Lin Kuei. Who the fuck are the Lin Kuei? Are they a deadly clan of ice sculptors or gardeners? Why do these two people hate each other? Who the hell are the Black Dragon Kano references? You know the answers to these questions. I know them. Joe Public is not going to. This film should be using the time it explains how a fireball comes out of a guy's hands to build on these concepts. Actually doing some proper storytelling rather than hoping we won't notice. Here's an idea. Hey mate, how you shooting fire out of your hands? The Shaolin train us from birth to manipulate our chi. That's how we can do all this neat stuff. Alright mate, fair game, where's the beer? Why does Cole suck so badly as a fighter? What happened to him? It never tells us. We're just supposed to feel for him because he has a family. He cares for them. And that's it. He has no real character arc at all. So bad writing, bad script. But one of the things that disappoints me the most about this film is the music, the sound, or the lack thereof. A good film should know how to use music to amplify its scenes, to set scenes, to pump its audience up for martial arts action. And this thing has the most generic Hollywood action score. I can't remember a thing about it. Nothing. I don't like drawing all these comparisons to MK1995, but that movie had a score which really felt of a piece with its material. Woodwind instruments, drums, rhythm, something primal and energy-fueled. Its soundtrack used all these great songs by bands that really also set the scene, that pumped you up. Fear Factory, KMFDM, Sister Machine Gun, Typo Negative. They took material from those bands that really worked and had the extra added bonus of making me a huge fan of those artists. I'm not asking for this film to have used industrial rock acts from 25 years ago. That's not the point. But you think that maybe something you could do is, I don't know, find some current modern artists who have some good tracks that could also work really well for your film, regardless of genre, in the present day. Maybe introduce a whole new generation of fans for whom this is their first Mortal Kombat movie to awesome, talented artists and bands. A little bit. No? Just generic Hollywood score then? Okay. And the score is additionally disappointed because Benjamin Wolfish has done better. Much better. But maybe you don't care about that kind of stuff. Maybe you are just here to see a guy get cut in half. Which, like I said before, that's fine. 
So let's talk about that a little bit. How about, does the movie actually give us all the death, destruction, dismemberment, blood, guts that we were promised? Little bit, not a whole lot. There are maybe two scenes, really, in this whole thing that I'd call more than PG-13. Goro getting sliced up, and Natara getting sawn in half. That's it. Meh. I'm sorry, I'm just not impressed. Think about that very, very first scene. One of the best ones in the film. One of the ones which actually does have a good atmosphere. Hanzo versus Bihan. Is there any reason that a movie that promised us so much gore, so much violence, is there any reason that that should not have ended with Sub-Zero taking Scorpion's head off? It didn't. Because we had to watch Scorpion crawl through the ground, dramatically. It's a choice. Not saying it's a wrong one. But there was a huge missed opportunity there to deliver what we were promised. And that toasty at the end of the film? Come on. That was lame. You know it was lame. I know it was lame. It didn't even reduce Behan to a charred skeleton. It just charred him. A little bit. Wasted opportunity to make something look really awesome. Half-assed. That's how I feel about this film in general. Really half-assed. And that's how most of us felt about this thing. I wish I weren't here alone to tell you all this. To vent. To complain. To be angry. But I'm not even angry, you know? I'm just disappointed. I really feel like this cast could have done so much better if they'd had better material to work with. If this movie had been in the hands of people who trusted the material and the audience just a bit more. But here we are. I'm sorry it has to be me that comes here and puts all this down, that says these things. I don't actually want to. I'm doing it because it's expected of us. And because no one else wanted to. No one wanted to come here and shit all over the thing that people out there are having fun with. But we have to be honest with ourselves just the same. We didn't all hate it. Cyborg liked it a little bit. I wish I could say the same for the rest of us. If you like it, I'm happy for you. I'm glad you can get some enjoyment out of this. I hope it's everything that you wanted and more. I know it is for some people. It is really cool to see some of your favorite characters up there doing their special moves and finishers. I still can't believe I actually got to see Cabal in a live-action setting. And by the way, love the ridiculous New York accent. The character never made sense in the first place. Don't stop now. But like I said, all that eye candy, it's icing on the cake. And I need something that has a bit of heart. A friend of mine came back from this film and he told me it felt lifeless, heartless, rushed and going through the motions. And out of all those things, the one that bothered me the most was when he said it was heartless. Because if there's one thing MK's always had, for all the cheesiness, for all the giant horsemen and robot ninjas, it's always felt like there's a story with heart in there somewhere. 20 years from now, when I'm looking back on all the MK movies and shit I've seen in my life, I'm not going to remember this as being the one that was full of life, that made me believe I was in the world of Mortal Kombat. I'm going to remember it as being the one where Goro got hit by a truck. So that's it. 
This is not a good movie. This is not a good martial arts movie. This is not a good Mortal Kombat movie. I even have more fun watching MK Annihilation. At least that one can be bothered to have fun with the fact that it's silly. If there do wind up being sequels to this thing, you know how I think that they could be best served in the future? Assuming they still don't want to do the MK1 tournament? Just say that in this version of things, the tournament happens in Outworld. Take us straight there. Show us all the wonderful, magical, orange and purple, messed up Outworld scenery that we've ever wanted to see. Screaming trees, the whole nine yards. And while you're there, yes, Ryan Reynolds as Johnny Cage. Please make that happen. So that's all for that. Those are the main points I wanted to cover. To really explain why most of us didn't care for this thing. And I hope you understand. And I hope I've done my best to explain why we did or didn't like it as diplomatically as I could. I really hope I haven't come across as just being someone who's full of nerd rage. But on the other hand, that is what some of you have come to this to hear, isn't it? Well, to close things off, let me present to you a list of nitpicks, questionable moments, really stupid decisions, and other bric-a-brac that the new MK film presented to us, which I found really ridiculous, questionable, and yes, fucking stupid. And I'm gonna do it, backed by a selection of some of my favorite background Mortal Kombat music tracks from the 3D games and from Shaolin Monks. Hopefully one day available at fine record stores online or near you. Ready? Anytime a movie shows me a gigantic wall of text which explains what's going on, that's as good as telling me we can't be bothered to explain this stuff organically. Here's some information, move on. Not a good sign. Rather than having a character explain why the tournaments exist, what they're protecting us from, we're just given the information like that. You could have had Raiden, Liu Kang, or Kung Lao explain this to our quote-unquote protagonist. But no. Just, here's what you need to know. There's a prophecy. Moving on. Ugh. Speaking of said protagonist, remind me again. Why am I supposed to empathize with him? Why is he down on his luck? Why is he such a bad fighter ever since he took the belt from Eddie Tobias? Cute, by the way. We're not given real reasons to care about his losses, whatever they are. They're not given to us at all. We're just supposed to feel bad for him because he has a family that he loves and wants to protect. Is that supposed to be enough? You might as well hang a sign around the guy's neck that goes, Hello, I am human. Please relate to me. Not a good sign when the writer, Greg Russo, basically washes his hands of your character and goes, It's something the studio wanted. I'm sorry, Louis Tan. You as an actor do deserve better than this. Guess I should have thrown the uppercut. Use the uppercut. Daddy, use the uppercut. Are we sure that wasn't what his arcana actually was? Spamming down to? Why does Shang Tsung say there will be no tournament? 
because there'll be no opposition left to fight. Is he just expecting Raiden to forfeit? Because he has no one to work with? I don't think the Elder Gods are gonna be pleased with that. Does this mean that Chang Sung has just been murdering chosen warriors for years and years? If so, why is Raiden so very bad at his job? Why is Bihan not Bihan anymore, but Sub-Zero? What caused the change? Did he earn the mantle by killing all the Shirai Ryu younglings? And then the Lin Kuei Grandmaster was all like, From this moment, you shall be known as Doth Sub-Zero. How'd he get the mantle? The movie never explains it to us. Why is he 300 years old? Now, you know, you know and I know that this is because the studio put these characters back in feudal era Japan. But, again, the movie just doesn't tell us why he's still alive. It just expects us to know. Sure, maybe you or I could come to the conclusion that, hey, in this universe, he's a descendant of cryomancers who has a really, really long lifespan. But casual moviegoers aren't gonna know that. They're just left with a guy who's got a new name and is very old. For some reason. The movie tells us that Sonya lives in Gary, Indiana, and that she's been there all her life. Does that mean she was born there? According to the game, she was born in Austin, Texas. You'd think that considering how much the movie likes to give us little tidbits from the universe, like, you know, Nightwolf in a book, they'd get a thing like that right. What is the actual point in having a special tattoo that proves you're worthy to enter the tournament? Aside from explaining to the audience things they apparently need to know. Sure, Raiden's always had his chosen mortals that are ordained by the Elder Gods to enter the tournament and defend their own realm. But doing it this way with a bunch of badges, it really makes it feel like an elite's only club. And it deprives the audience of the sense that these are fundamentally human beings that have a chance to overcome all odds and become special by defending their world. It makes them feel automatically special. And as a result, the characters feel a little bit less relatable to ordinary people like you and me. And on that topic, why in God's name would you write things so that you have these pre-established criteria for being good enough to be part of this tournament and then tell us that Sonya starts off not being as good as the others? Yeah, I know the point in the movie shows us she has to get there, and she does, but starting her off narratively on a weaker foot than every single cast member, Kano included, just feels really insulting to the character. Sonya has always been one of the best there is in the MK universe. And she never needs to prove anything to anyone. Why the hell would you write it so she has to? Temp wanted me to say that he really hopes that one day we'll see Reptile as a character with his own motivations, capable of dialogue and speech. A real member of the cast. I don't ever expect things to get to that point, but I do have a question. Why would you depict him in a mostly naked giant lizard form based on the version in Deadly Alliance that everyone hated rather than showing him as, I don't know, a half ninja, half reptile guy? Like maybe in Shaolin Monks, which is how the fans love him the best. Did we just not want to show him as a ninja at all because MK95 did it? Just because you do something different 
doesn't mean it's automatically good. Exactly how in the hell does Kano know where the Shaolin monks are? Boy, it sure is a good thing that Liu Kang found Jax just in time, right before he died. It's some pretty convenient timing right there. Speaking of, where'd they get the parts to fix his arms from anyway? They searched every realm. In what, a day and a half? Okay. And why not use the opportunity to fix Kano's eye with his plate while you're there? Ice doesn't cauterize wounds. Ice doesn't work like that. Cauterization doesn't work like that. What the fuck? Who thought that Jax's tiny chicken bone arms would not be one of the most unintentionally hilarious things ever seen in an MK adaptation to date, destined to become future memes? We really couldn't give Liu Kang and Kung Lao one scene together, strengthen their relationship, not at all. Why does Raiden have Tesla coils in his house? Is it because lightning? Is it to protect the people around him from the fact that he's made of lightning? So Liu Kang gets his arcana from killing a child trafficker. Did the Shaolin monks send Liu Kang to kill a child trafficker? This means that a child trafficker was considered worthy to enter the Mortal Kombat tournament. How did the child trafficker earn his arcana? Was he born with it like Cole? Did he kill someone to get it? Does that mean all you have to do is kill someone to be worthy of entering the tournament? Or do you have to actually fight them? Did the child trafficker kill a child that he was trafficking who had the arcana? Was that child Jarek? And is that why we will never see him in an MK movie ever? Why am I being made to think about child traffickers and or child trafficking when I am watching a Mortal Kombat film? Why does the movie use Cabal, who is from Earthrealm, as a bad guy? Now don't get me wrong, I'm really happy to see him. But you'd think that they'd maybe instead use Baraka, Ermac, or maybe even Aaron Black, who is also from Earthrealm but works for Outworld. Which would make him a great choice. And then again, why is Cabal sometimes good and sometimes bad? That's not even a movie criticism, just in general. When will this character ever make any kind of fucking sense? Why would you ever introduce Melina and not introduce Kitana at the same time? to establish their relationship together. Why doesn't Melina wear a mask or a veil or something? Is it because we don't care about her origin story with Katana here? We just need her to look scary? Yes, it is. That's why these people are here. They look scary. Why is Reiko like that? Temp hated this. Temp couldn't stand this. Reiko's a top 5 character when you're talking about intelligence in the MK universe. He's a general who makes plans for fuck's sake. This is... This is Deadpool and Wolverine Origins mouth stapled shut level. Fuck this character. Why does Shang Tsung have such a huge boner for Natara anyway? 
Why would you send Goro, the champion of Mortal Kombat, across dimensional barriers just to kill a guy? You'd think that maybe the Elder Gods would have like, I don't know, a dimensional alarm or something that gets tripped whatever the reigning and literally unaging immortal champion of their whole fucking tournament goes next door to the dimension where he has no goddamn business being. You think they'd notice a thing like that? And then they'd be all like, Hey, Raiden, why is this guy here? Go send him back. Get your dick out of that Tesla coil and go do your fucking job. Why am I slowly turning into the movie Cabal? Hey, forget about it. Who thought that Goro being hit by a truck and then having him smash that truck would be a good thing to show on film and not something that looks absolutely and completely stupid? Who would win in a fight? Goro or a pickup truck? Would the outcome have been different if he'd encountered a larger, bigger truck? Will there ever be a time when we once again get to see evidence that Goro has a sense of honor, dignity, that he's a skilled martial artist, and not just a great big cruel, muscly, forearmed guy, and that some shit, like beating up a truck, is way beneath him? Why does Cabal tell Liu Kang that Kung Lao is about to get his soul sucked, when Shang Tsung literally just said that seconds earlier? Did he think that Liu Kang could perhaps not hear Shang, and so felt the considerate need to inform him of what is currently happening? Or is he explaining it to the audience? Scorpion tells us he is no longer Hanzo Asashi, but Scorpion now. How did the change happen? Is it because Quan Chi is off-screen doing Quan Chi things? We're just expected to know this if you're an MK fan, or assume it. But if you're a casual moviegoer, fuck you! Why do we need Cole to be the character that brings Scorpion back to Earth? Is it to give the studio-created character a narrative purpose he doesn't really have otherwise? Why can't the film just be okay with him being sent back from hell for the sake of revenge? Go into further details in a sequel. Why does this damn movie take such weird, clumsy angles to explain how all the supernatural things make sense? Why does Sub-Zero freeze the entire MMA gym? Why does Scorpion take his mask off and put it back on like five times at the end of the film? Why not just overdub his speech while he has it on? Why does Smoke Man maintain that James Ramirez Raiden is more entertaining than the majority of this film? Why am I starting to believe him? Why would you tell your audience that death is just another portal as a way of ensuring an easy way back for all the cast members you just killed? Sure, it works for Noob Saibot, but is this how we're also going to bring Goro back to defend his title? Sure, he died, but he gets a do-over because he wasn't in a tournament, so it didn't count. If so, that's some pretty lame storytelling right there. I mean, I know it's Mortal Kombat. Audiences are expecting people to die. But why not make those deaths actually count? Kill people you know are never going to come back. Rotate in new cast members. It's why I'm not even all that upset about, like, Natara and Reiko dying. 
I know I'm never going to see them again. But why not wait to actually kill off Goro at the end of the actual tournament when he's supposed to go down? And maybe for once, hey, let's have Liu Kang do it. Why as a fan of the lore of the Mortal Kombat universe would I sit here and point out all the flaws with this film when it plainly isn't geared in any way, shape, or form toward me? Is it because I hate it that much? No. It's for shits and giggles. It's to entertain you, the listener. And lastly, are you looking forward to the sequel to Mortal Kombat Scorpion's Revenge as much as I am? Or... Even Marvel's Shang-Chi, Legend of the Ten Rings. So we actually remember what the MK Universe is supposed to feel like. Have a good night, everybody. We'll see you next time.